This morning, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And um, I just want to say this. Whether you are here in the house or you're tuning in online, you made one of the most important decisions that you could ever make by prioritizing Jesus and prioritizing church. A few weeks ago, we were out of town uh, just getting some time away. Just my wife and I was like the first time alone in about a year, and it was amazing. As I'm driving back Sunday morning, I'm like watching, uh, I'm not watching, I'm driving, but I did have the live feed of our church service uh, in the car, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, I, as great as this weekend was, like, I just missed out on something, and like the next morning, I woke up, and I felt like this, there was something different, and hear me, because for, uh, I'm so grateful for the time that we got to have together, but there's something so significant about when we're in the presence of God together, we're living out what he called us and created us to do. And so I just want to encourage you, you're making one of the most important priorities when you make the decision to come to church. And here at this church, we're, we're really about, we're all about God's word, and that's why we're going to get into it in a moment. We're a, a Jesus-teaching Bible preaching, Holy Spirit seeking place. And so every time we gather, we gather to get in God's word, but we're also contending for a move of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. So Matthew chapter five is where we're going to be in just a moment. And before we get there, I want to share this with you. A few weeks ago, I was in Seattle. Anyone from Seattle? All right, come on, bro. Come on. Seattle in the house today. I love Seattle. I love, I should say, I love visiting Seattle. I lived in Portland for a number of years, and Portland rained way too much for me. So to live in a city that rains even more, I don't know if I could do it, but it's one of my favorite cities to visit. If you've never been to Seattle, you need to. It's beautiful. I mean, it's one of the most perfect cities. Uh, I'm, I'm going to drive to meet my friend, and it's like sunny in Seattle, which, Corey, you know, it doesn't happen very often. And so I'm literally on the way to meet my friend, and, and the sunrise is coming up, and it's coming up over these mountains, and they're all covered in snow. And it was just this beautiful, beautiful day. And I meet up with him. He's one of my closest friends uh, really on the planet, and we're hanging out. And when we get together, it's like he's high energy, I'm high energy, and then we start drinking coffee, right? <laughs> and so we're walking around downtown Seattle. We're having this great day. We're drinking really strong coffee. And, and he starts, like, talking, but he's not talking. He's kind of, like, venting, right? Like, how many of you know you need a friend that you can just vent to, right? You don't want them to solve your problems, right? You, you don't want them to fix anything. You don't want them to counsel you. You don't need counseling. You just want someone that you can just vent to. And so he's venting to me, and we're walking. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, totally, man. And he's venting about his life, and he's a pastor, and he's got young kids. And so we're venting about some of the same things, not about you, but just about things that happen in church life. And uh, he goes, what about you? What's bugging you these days, right? I go, you know, what, you know what bothers me? What bothers me is how people get so easily offended. That's what's bugging me. And he starts laughing. Like my friend starts laughing at me. I didn't expect that. I didn't want that. I'm like, why are you laughing at me? And he goes, did you hear what you just said? He said, you are offended by people that get easily offended. Like, dang it. (laughs) Let's talk about something else, right? I love how the Lord will just use comments, just those little things to kind of work stuff in our lives. And as I was flying back the next morning, God just said, why are you offended? Why are you offended by little things like that? Why do you let those little things bother you and get at you? And this morning, I just want to talk about this 
thing of being offended. And, and sometimes when I preach, it's usually from a perspective of, God, what do you want me to say? But today's a little bit different. It's, it's the things that God is working in my own life. The things that God is working, one of the things, one of the many things that God is, is kind of working out in my own relationship, and my own journey with him. And, and maybe I'm the only one that gets offended. Maybe I'm the only one. But I just realized in, in this era, it's easy to be offended, right? I mean, whether it's, it's politics or it's parenting styles or it's Pinterest or it's Popeye's chicken sandwiches, everybody has a take on everything. Have you noticed that? Everybody wants to share their opinion about everything. And here's the problem. For most of us, we want to share our opinions, but we really don't want to hear the opinions of other people. It's like, no, 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 I got you to hear what I have to say. Today I want to talk about this idea of how do we become less offended? How do we work through this? How do we allow God to take us to a new place? Let, let me ask you this question. What if in your life, you could be at a place where you were not offended. Like not infrequently, but, but all the time. What if in your life you could find yourself in a place where you, you just, you were unoffendable? I believe it's possible. I believe it's something that, that, that not only does God invite us to, but he calls us to and he expects us to. And so this morning, I want us to look at how do we become people that are unoffendable? Because here's this crazy thought that I have. What if we were people, what if we were a church of people that were known not for what we're against, but what we're for? Like, what if we were a church filled with people where people heard about this church and like, man, that church is pro-people. It's, it's pro it's, it's pro the city. It's pro-causes. It's, it's, it's for us. What if we, we just weren't going from offense to offense, but we were known by our love and our grace and our mercy? What if? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, your word, it's unlike anything that we have today. In a season, in an era where, where fashion and technology is changing weekly, God, your word is consistent, it's constant, it's the same. We thank you that your word is alive, that it's active, that it, it shapes us and it forms us and, and it wrecks us for the best. And Lord, as we get into your word, Jesus, as we read the things that you said, they aren't some ancient history, but they're for us for today. Lord, shape us by your word, influence us by your word. Speak to us today, in your name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you this question as, as you turn to Matthew 5. Why is offense so bad? Like, why is it such a bad thing to be offended? Proverbs in the Bible, in the Old Testament, this guy named Solomon, who was one of the wisest people to ever live, this is what he said. He said, a fortified friend, excuse me, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. For any of you that have ever gone through an argument or you've had kind of a fallout with a friend, you know this is true. You know that this is something that happens. And here's what's unique. I looked up the word offense and offend this week, and I looked it up in like every single dictionary I could find. 
And they all deal with the same thing of, of anger and hostility and resentment. Like every definition I could find, it all, they all kind of came back to the same things. But here's what's unique. We live in this day and age where like we have taken the word offended and we've made it, we, we, we victimized it. Like I'm offended and, I, and I'm a victim because I'm offended. And I think God invites us to live a different way. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. He said, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, even if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in the danger of the fires of hell. Like, that's intense, right? Last night, we had some neighbors over, and we're hanging out, we're having dinner and one of our neighbors is talking about a coworker, and she goes, yeah, he's such an idiot. And from the other room, I hear footsteps. My four-year-old son comes running in with no shirt because he thinks he's the Hulk, comes running in, and he goes, hey, time out. We don't say idiot. That's a bad word. We don't call people idiots. And he literally reprimands my 30-something-year-old neighbor. I'm like, I love it. I love it. But here's the truth. Jesus said, like, listen, if you're living with anger, it's an equivalent to murder. There's a judgment. There's something that you will face. If you live with this constant anger, you got to deal with it. you got to face it. You see, anger and offense is, is a lot like a grenade, right? Like, like, we get offended, and what do we do? We throw the grenade, Right? I got this grenade. It's not real. Don't worry. Like, don't, everyone's like running for the exits. It's a fake grenade. But, but what happens? Anger and offense is a lot like this grenade. I mean, you were to look at this thing and you're like, it looks harmless until what happens? Until you pull the pin. Now this baby's active. If I let go of this little trigger, I'm done. If I let go and throw it, whoever I throw it at is done. Anger's the same way. Anger is like this little thing. It's like there's this little safety. And, and if we don't get it in check, it'll destroy us. Something so small, something so insignificant as this little tiny pin is what separates this thing from life and death. And so we got to get it in check. We got we to gotta deal with it. Now what happens? People throw a grenade at us. You post something on Facebook. Maybe not even something like potentially, you know, adversive. Maybe you just post a, a photo of you and your kids and someone comments on it. And what do they do? Throw a grenade. And what's our propensity? Well, let me tell you how ugly your kids are. <laughs> and we throw one back. And maybe not just one, we throw like five, right? Like we take it to the, ne the next level. Jesus says if there's anger, and you don't deal with it, it's left unchecked. It is so detrimental. Don't pull the pin. Don't pull the pin from the grenade. And then he goes on to say this, verse 23, next verse. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave that sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. 
what in that culture, the way that they would worship God before Christ gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice is they would sacrifice animals to God as an act of worship. And so what Jesus is saying is he says, listen, if you're about to worship me and you realize that there's an issue, there's a fence, there's a problem, pause the worship, go deal with that. It's better that you deal with that in the moment than you continue to worship me. How many times have you had a moment in your life where you're worshiping God or you're talking to God and God just brings something up to you and you're like, oh man, I got to deal with that. I literally, when I, when I have time in the morning with God, when I read my Bible, I have a notebook next to it because sometimes God will just start speaking things. Usually it's not about like people that I've offended, though sometimes that happens. If I haven't offended you already, I will unintentionally. It's just, it's the nature of relationships. Relationships are messy. People are messy. Church is messy. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it here. You're going to find an amazing group of people that are chasing Jesus. But it's messy. God says, if there's an offense, if there's an issue, Jesus himself says, stop, pause, time out. Go deal with that. Go deal with that in the moment and then come back and worship me. Don't keep worshiping. Don't keep pressing in, but stop right then and there. So what do we do? We need to be people that choose to repin the grenade. We pin the grenade. We say, okay, there's this offense in my life, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going gonna, gonna to put this little thing back in here, and that way, I just broke it. <laughs> my $2 toy, I just broke. That way, it won't go off. That way, it's no longer ready just to explode. Jesus says, pin the grenade. Just like you have the power to pull the pin out, you have the power to put the pin back in. You have the power to reset it. There's this old saying. I don't know if you've heard it. I, I don't know where I heard it from. But have you heard that saying, just go put a pin in it? Right? That's not, like, that's not offensive, right? Like, that's not like calling someone, you know, uh, an idiot, right? Like, like, what that phrase means is, like, I'm going to put a pin in it for later. I'm going to come back to that, right? Like, perhaps nowadays we'd say, hey, Siri, set me a reminder. Like, that, that's the equivalent to it nowadays. But when it comes to putting a pin in the grenade, it's not that you're going to come back to it. It's literally that you're saying, hey, I'm going to repin this and not come back to it. I'm going to choose to let it go. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to move forward. You see, you control your emotion, not the other way around. You control your reaction. Your reaction doesn't control you. You control your decision. Your decision does not control you. You have power over it. Just like you would choose where you're going to go have lunch today after church. Just like you would choose the new cell phone company that you're going to go with. You have power over the choices that you make in your relationships. Here's where it's significant, though. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on you while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Paul says, you've got to deal with this. And you got to deal with it now. You need to deal with it immediately. Don't just, like, think, okay, I'm going to come back to it. He says, deal with it and deal with it now. It's important that, there's, that, that you move forward in this. Here's what you need to hear. You can't move forward in your faith when you're stuck in anger. It's not possible. Like, like you want to put the car in drive, but there's no key in the ignition because anger is taking the key. You have to literally say, God, I'm going to choose to forgive this person so that I can move forward in my relationship with you. Then Jesus goes on to say this. 
verse 38, he says, you have heard that the law, heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Jesus calls us to, ri- to live a very radical way. But let me explain this for a moment. Because I think this is one of those verses that Christians get wrong often. Jesus is talking about offense here. One of the worst ways that you could offend someone in that culture was to slap them. Like, it's like the equivalent of a your mama joke back in the day, right? Like, you don't go there unless you know someone wants to fight. Like, you just, you just don't drop that unless it's like, hey, we're, let's go now. So for someone to slap someone was one of the most offensive things you could possibly do. Jesus is not saying don't defend yourself, though. This is important you hear this. Uh, years ago, I was a youth pastor. I was like 20 years old. I don't know why they trusted me to, to lead anybody, let alone teenagers. And, and I'm meeting with this family. And we had this student in our, in our church that, that was a big, a big guy. He was a middle school student. He played offensive line. And he got jacked. He got beat up. And I'm meeting with him and his family. And, and I said, what happened? And, and his mom, like, like, doesn't even allow him to respond. His mom cuts him off, and she goes, he was just being like Jesus. He was turning the other cheek. Now, I'm 20 years old. I have no filter, okay? Like, I've gotten a lot better. Keep praying for me with this. I've gotten a lot better over the years. But I, I turned to her before I even think about what I said. I said, that's bad Bible, okay? Like, like if your son is getting beat up, he needs to be able to defend himself, right? If someone breaks into your home this week, You're not going to say, well, just take whatever you want. Here's the safe. Let me just show you where the good stuff is. No, you're going to defend yourself. You have a role and a responsibility to defend yourself and to defend your family. But Jesus is talking about when it comes to insults. He's talking about when people go after you in these ways. He said, then that's when we respond differently. That's what this means. He says, I want you to walk the extra mile. I want you to go above and beyond. I want you to make the right choice. I want you to live differently. You see, I, I think of this. I think that when we live with an offense, it's, it's like everything we're seeing about with the, the coronavirus. An offense is like a coronavirus to our character. When we live with an offense, it, it's detrimental. It has this effect on us that goes above and beyond. But every single one of us has a choice. We have a choice when it comes to living with an offense. The second truth that I want you to see is this, is that we need to choose to be unoffendable. We need to choose to be unoffendable. It's a choice that you have and that I have. Have you seen those, um, those progressive commercials where they talk about how we're turning into our parents? Like, and there's one spouse, and, like, they don't see it, and then, like, the other spouse is freaked out because he's like, I just, I, I literally married my mother-in-law. And, 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 like, every time I see those commercials, I laugh. But then I kind of, like, they kind of hit a little cl- too far close to home, right? Like, oh, man, I'm kind of becoming like my parents in some ways. The other day, I was talking to my daughter. My daughter, Naomi, is, is she's off the charts. She's, she's incredible. She's doing so well in life. And, and yet she was having a bad day. She was having a, a bad moment. 
When I was growing up, my parents would always tell me this, this phrase. They had a friend that wrote a book on attitude, and he wrote this phrase. He said, your attitude is the second greatest choice that you'll ever make. I remember as a kid, I was like, Mom, that's not true. It's what I do with my life. It's who I marry. It's where I live. And, and the older I get, the more of a reality that I realize. Outside of your choice to follow Jesus, your attitude is the second greatest choice that you'll ever make. John Maxwell said it like this. He said, your attitude will always determine your altitude. Like, the attitude that you have will determine everything about you. And I believe it. Like, I will hire people for the staff of this church um, with attitude over almost anything else. Like, your experience is great. Your, your, your background is great. Your education is important. But, man, what is your attitude? What's the, what am I going to see when I show up to work every single day? What's going to come out? So I'm having this talk with my daughter. She's seven. And I like take a knee. I'm like, come here, Naomi. Let's take a knee, right? I'm like such a coach. Sometimes it just comes out. I'm like, let, let, let's, let's take a knee. Let's talk for a moment. She's like, what's up, dad? I go, Naomi, you know that your attitude, and she finishes the statement. She goes, is the second most important decision I will ever make. This girl's sharp. Like, she's got it. She's got it. She's putting it together. I go, yeah. I go, so what are you going to do? She goes, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm like, all right. And then she says this. She goes, bring it in, Dad. And she puts her arms around me. She gives me a hug. She taps me on the back, and she goes, good talk, Dad. Good talk. And she runs off. I'm like, you're going to take over the world. But she's getting it, right? Like, her attitude is a choice that she has to make. She has power over her attitude, over the things that she's going to do. And here's the reality. For every single one of us, we have a choice in this matter. Now, here, here's the thing. I think that we focus a lot on teaching our kids not to be offensive, right? Like, this is good. This is important. I mean, we want to teach our kids. I want to teach my kids not to be offensive. I, I want to teach them to be someone that, that honors people and respects people, and, and they have character, and they have integrity. We want to teach them not to be offensive, but, but I think that we need to put a little bit more energy into teaching them how to not be easily offended. Not just to not be offensive. We need to teach them how to be, not be easily offended. And I think it's not just in them. I think we need to put the same energy into ourselves. That we're saying, man, I'm going to do all that I can not to be someone that is easily offended, that I have a choice in the matter. You ever heard that, that old phrase, I've taken offense? Right? Like I talk to people, and they're like, yeah, I've taken offense. And my response is always, well, like, just don't take offense. Like, it's right there. You don't need to pick it up. Just, just leave it there. Like, leave it alone. Don't take it. Don't just, just don't take it. Even more, I think that we need to not just pin the grenade. We just need to put the grenade away, right? Just need to say, you know what? That's, that's not how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to choose to, I'm going to choose just to, to leave it alone. I was with some people recently, and, and they were talking about a, a public person, and they said, someone just needs to take her phone away. They just need to take her off of Twitter. Like, she just needs to not be on Twitter. And I think, man, for some of us, like, Twitter's the grenade. Let's just leave it alone, right? Facebook's the grenade. Just, just stay away from it. It's, it's a trigger for your life, and it's a trigger for offense. If you want to choose to be someone that's not easily offended, just, just let it go. Abraham Lincoln said it like this. He said, we should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. I love that. Have you ever had someone walk up to you and say, no offense, but? And then usually what do they do? They say the most offensive thing. 
Like, Ezra, no offense, but that sermon was really bad. Like, why are you wearing what you're wearing? You know, it's like, like, oh, man, thanks, buddy. Love you. Bless you. There's this phrase that used to go with it, like, no offense, and then they would always say the second part to it, none taken. Do you remember that? Like, no offense, and people would say, oh, yeah, hey, none taken. Like, what if we just go back to that? Like, what if we choose just not to take an offense? Like, hey, no offense, cool, none taken, right? Like, I want to be someone uh, of just high grace. I want to be someone who just, man, just like Jesus, I want to be rich in mercy. I want my mercy like God's mercy for me every day. I wake up on a new mercy. I want my mercy for people to be new every day. Man, I gave away a lot of mercy yesterday, but man, God just filled it back up. God just filled me afresh in his mercy, so I'm going to walk with a new mercy for people. No offense, none taken. This week I was talking to my former pastor. He's um, now serving as the president of our denomination, and, and he's not my former pastor because we had like a, a, a breakup. We're, we're good. We're great. But um, I just felt like in this season, as, as he moves into a new role, I needed to find someone who's a pastor to be a pastor to me. How many of you know the longer you've been alive, the more that you want some authority in your life? I'm not just called to be a spiritual authority and called to be a pastor. I believe that I need to have a pastor in my life. And so I asked a dear friend of mine, I said, would you be my pastor? Would you be that voice in my life? Would you, would you call me when I'm doing stupid stuff? And would you call me to encourage me? And, and would you be a pastor to me? But I was talking to my former pastor this weekend, and, and we, were, we were catching up, and he said, man, what are you preaching on? What are you preaching on Sunday? I said, I'm preaching on offense. He's like, I'll tell you a cool story. He said, I was, uh, before I, I transitioned my church, he said, I was, uh, I came across a situation. He said, we had a gentleman in our church that was offended because we were remodeling the church building that we were in. When we were on staff at their church in 2009, uh, that church was like 20 years past a remodel, right? I mean, it was like, it needed to remodel badly, but it was just never the focus. And finally, said, so let's remodel the church. Let's bring it up into like at least the 19th century. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, and so they, they began to remodel the church, and there was a gentleman that was offended that they were remodeling the church. And so he's talking to God. He said, God, I'm so offended that we're spending money on a building when we could be spending money on all these other things. And that church does an amazing job. I mean, they, they give away 50% of their, 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 their income to missions and to things all around the world. I mean, they're, they're, they're so kingdom-minded. He said, I was so offended, I, I took it to God. And God said, what are you going to do? And he said, I started praying. This gentleman started praying, and he said, I just, I felt led that I needed to double the amount that I was giving to my church. Now, please hear me. I'm not telling this to you that, to suddenly you feel like, oh, well, man, Ezra's was telling me that I need to double the amount of, I'm not saying that at all. I just want you to hear a cool story. So he said, okay, God, I want to work through this offense. I'm going to choose to walk in obedience. He'd had a really amazing year. He owned a business. He had an amazing year. At that point in time, he was giving $6,500 a month to his church. So now every month he's writing a $13,000 tithe check. Guess what happened? As he started to give, God began to work in his heart. He said, your issue isn't even with your church. It's with a previous church. It's with a previous leader. And you need to go back and you need to forgive that leader. And you need to move forward into the things that I have for you. And so we did, and he said, I, I found this forgiveness. I found this healing that I didn't even realize I needed. On top of that, guess what else God did? 
God built his business. God continued to grow and grow and grow his business. That wasn't his, for, for long, that wasn't just double his tithe. That just became his tithe because that's what God was just causing their business to do. Church, I want to encourage you that if there is something in your heart that you're, you're wrestling with, you're dealing with, to step out and to deal with it. If there's an offense, if there's an issue, if there's something there, give it to God. Trust him in it. Take that step to say, God, I don't want to hold on to this any longer. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Jesus said, go above and beyond. Don't just pin the grenade, put it away. Choose to be unoffendable. And then he said one more thing as we conclude this morning. In verse 43, he said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I'm gonna tell you something. If you're struggling with for forgiveness, if you're wrestling with an offense, the hardest and yet the greatest thing that you could do is to begin to pray for that person. You see, and I'm not saying pray like that God would strike them dead. I'm saying pray that, that God would move in their lives. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that, that God would do amazing things for them. Because here's what's going to happen. And you can call me on this. You can quote me on this. This is what's going to happen. If you genuinely begin to pray for that person, you're going to find forgiveness. Because you know what happens? Like when you pray for someone, you can't be mad at them. It's like oil and water. It just doesn't mix. When you pray for a person, you forgive them. It's not going to happen instantly, but it will begin to happen. Seven years ago, my daughter was born. And it was this amazing moment in the hospital. It was so good. And, and not long after that, like three hours after she was born, my wife's phone starts blowing up. It was some of our really good friends. And it's just like ringing and ringing and ringing. And I'm thinking, man. And finally I said, do you, do you I'm going to take this phone. I said, maybe she's here at the hospital. She doesn't know where to, to find us. Like they were our people, right? Like they were our friends we hung out with all the time. And he was one of my closest friends. And I answered the phone and I'm like, hey, are you here? And, and it was like muffled, right? You could hear like someone was on the other line and, and, and you could hear that she was crying. And she said, Ezra, I just, I just found out my husband's been cheating on me. And I went from like the high of having our baby born to just almost numb knowing that one of my closest friends had been cheating on his wife for the past number of months. I didn't even know what to say. Like I, I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to even more just be a friend in that moment. I didn't even know what to say to her. I just said, I'm so sorry. I said, do you want to come by the hospital tomorrow and we can just, we can pray with you? For any of you that have had a friend go through something like that, it's painful, it's hard, it's, it's difficult. For any of you that have gone through that, it's, it's a pain that you wouldn't want to wish on anybody. So we bring our little girl home from the hospital and our friend and her two stinky dogs move in with us. I mean, like, this is not the chapter that I thought it was going to be in our lives of, like, man, we have two children. Now we have a, a, a soon-to-be maybe single single woman and her, her, we have, like, all these dogs in our house. Like, this is not, like, we lived in, like, a thousand square feet condo. Like, we had no room, and, and it was awful. And I was so angry at my friend. 
And he would call me and he would text me and, 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 he, and she would say, hey, he really wants to get together with you. And I said, I'm, I don't want to talk to him. I have nothing to say with him. Finally, after a week, I said, listen, I'll meet you in this park because if we meet someone in private, I'm, I'm going to put you in the hospital. I'm so angry at what you did. You laugh, but I'm being serious. I was so angry at my friend. And we met and he talked and I was just like, I didn't even want to hear it. Like, you know, when you leave a conversation, you're like, that got us nowhere. And I was talking to my pastor. I said, hey, I'm going through this. And I've never been, I don't know if I've ever been this angry in my life. And what did he tell me? He said, Ezra, one, you got to forgive him. God has forgiven you of everything, past, present, future. You have to forgive. And two, start praying for him. I'm like, Lord, I'm like Randy, I don't want to pray for him. Because you got to. Start praying for him to meet God in this moment, for God's grace to over. I'm like, I don't want to pray grace over that man. And I left. I'm driving home. And you know how the Lord just starts speaking to you? He did. I'm like, all right, Lord. And I start just praying for him. I start praying for him. And by the time I, I left the office, the time I got home, which is about 20 minutes, I felt like a little bit of forgiveness. Not a lot. Like just a little bit. It was just enough to start it. When we... When we're wrong, when we are offended, when we are, when we go through those kinds of things, we have to make the choice to forgive. We can't hold on to it. We don't have the option. We need to make the choice. Put the pin back in. Put the grenade away. And then begin to pray. Begin to pray that God, just like he forgave you and he forgave me, he'd forgive that person too.